All right. Well, let's do this. Fueled by your free McDonald's. Yeah, you saw that? That was awesome. That was very cool. You're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 129. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about very entertaining things. We talk about pop culture, nostalgia, movies, music, video games, whatever catches our fancy. My name is Rob, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jimmy. Hello, everyone. And Greg. Hello, everyone except for Jimmy. What did I do to you? Ruined my surprise. He's just a whiny bitch. Ruined my surprise. I wanted to surprise you. I wanted to see happiness in your eyes. You will. You still can. Okay. (laughs) You just don't get to be the cause of it. So true. Never, ever. (laughs) <laughs> always a bride's always a bridesmaid. This week we're going to talk about some gaming gear, a couple of books, my best friend's Exorcism, and Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge Black Spire, and the superpower sci-fi film Code Eight, which is finding new life on Netflix, and a cult classic, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. Oh hell yes! Fun, strange movie. Yeah, it is. Although I have seen that movie, the best possible way to see that movie. So we'll talk about that later. Guys, this is a review show. There's probably going to be spoilers. We will try to avoid major twists, particularly with the books. It takes a while to get through a book. So we're not going to spoil that for anybody. Uh, since, you know, you guys have a lot of time on your hands, most likely. And maybe sitting back and reading oh, might yeah. be something you want to do. So if you guys are people that hate spoilers and we spoil something for you. That's a you problem, not an us problem. Bite me. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) And remember that hate mail can go to the give me five podcast at gmail.com. Address it to Greg. Yes. The subject line should be no bite me. (laughs) News guys, any news? Uh, yeah. Got a little bit of news here. Um, guys, we have a title for the next Venom film. Ooh, do we? We do. Have you not heard this? I have not. The title of Venom 2 is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Ooh. To I, thought you, I thought you were going to totally F with me and say, Venom 2. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, that Venom was... 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. There's a crossover. Um, no, the uh, the title for Venom 2, which, uh, you know, very excited that there is, is even going to be a Venom 2. It was revealed just the other day that the title is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. It pits Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock Venom against the supervillain known as Carnage. Is it still Woody Harrelson? It is. Yes. Oh, yes. 
I am so going to see that. Oh, yeah, it should be fun. Man, I can't wait. Um, unfortunately, due to these unprecedented times, the film, which was originally slated to release on October 2nd, 2020, has been pushed all the way to June 25th of 2021. Mm. But I, I think that's going to happen uh, for a lot of films. Um, now, the very cool thing about this is that it's going to release right around the same time as Morbius and Spider-Man 3. This is going to be the summer of Spider-Man. It will be. And, and man, you know, it's, it's pretty much a given that we're going to see Blade and Morbius. Um, I, I, one can only hope that we will eventually lead to a carnage venom and Spider-Man uh, marriage as we do not have the uh, infinity saga um, anymore. We could begin a new one is what I say. Damn it. Be fun. Uh, it's I funny that think we're, so. you're talking about that because do, doing the homeschooling thing, whenever my kid gets done with whatever chapter or whatever subject he's doing, he gets a chance to play on his phone for 15 minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I guess he went down the YouTube rabbit hole of the history of Venom. So, like, he was doing that. I got done with my work. I went downstairs to have lunch with him. And the entire lunch, he was like, did you know that Venom was this? And did you know that? He was like, where did you learn all this stuff? But, like, lunch just, like, two days ago really just turned into me trying to explain continuity and how, like, there's like 18 different stories of Venom and him not quite understanding. He's like, well, how was he an alien if he yeah. was also formed in a lab by this? And I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, son, there are these things called arcs and there are multiverses. And yeah. so we skipped homeschooling for the next three days. And I just sat down with the PowerPoint and like, you know, pieces of paper and strings all over the place and. Well, bulletin boards, and I had to explain Venom and Carnage and all that stuff to him. Like a good father. I mean, it sounds like you had homeschool. Yeah. Like, yeah, on yeah. important subjects. Exactly. Speaking of, of mine, nerd... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, a friend of mine referred to, to homeschooling for kindergartners as daddy becoming the kindergarten teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't really get to um you know set them down and because with all the technology and everything involved you know there's not really any distance learning for kindergartners it's just the parents become the kindergarten teachers nerd stuff more nerd stuff i want to applaud a local comic store and right. you know i will say that clearly no one's really going out to comic stores right now and they are hurting big time because they, they do have a very razor-thin margin of mm -hmm. something. If they have a bad month, they're pretty much screwed. Not you know, a lot of money to be made just selling each individual comic, et cetera, et cetera. A comic shop in Orlando, Florida, or Winter Park, Florida, technically. You guys obviously can't go there even if you lived here, but they do a live stream where they are partnering up with any other comic store that wants help. They've got a pretty big following because the the owner of the store used to do a video on uh, Bleeding Cool. He used to do like a comic show on Bleeding Cool. So what they're doing is live auctions almost every night to 
basically sell people's leftover stock. You know, so they do a live show. They've had you know celebrities on. They had Jason Aaron, who's a comic writer. If you don't know, um, who else do they have? They had uh, Scotty Young, who does like the really cool, like cartoony looking characters. He just announced yesterday he's done like two weeks of these live things, and he's already paid his rent for the next two months. And now he's working on helping other competing comic stores do the same thing. He's doing auctions to help other comic stores in the area. Uh, I've been posting whenever those shows happen on the the our Facebook feed. They're they're fun, even if you know. I've been watching them, even though I'm not really. I bought like a couple books, but I'm not really buying anything. But I'm watching it because it's just like being in the comic store. So if you mm-hmm. are a comic person and it's nice hearing people talk about nerdy things, it's just a really positive thing. If you want to help some people out. Um, he's helping out the industry and figured there was a, it was a good thing to talk about considering we all love the nerd stuff. We do. Yeah. You know what else we love? What do we love? Free stuff. We do love free stuff. And I would like to point out that during, during this time, there's a lot of promotions and deals going around, especially for those who work in the areas hardest hit by coronavirus, such as your healthcare employees, your first responders, law enforcement, whatnot. I found out today that McDonald's is offering a free complimentary meal, select meals only, but a free complimentary meal to all healthcare employees or first responders. All you have to do is go in and show your ID, show your, show your badge or whatever. And they will give you, I got the double cheeseburger with a small fry and a Coke. And it was completely free. I just walked in, showed them my ID. They thanked me and gave me food. I was like, hell yeah. Deservedly so. Very well done, McDonald's. Very nice. So yay, businesses doing right in the world. Greg, I think you have some other news. I do or... have some other news. This okay. is go ahead news Sorry. for the podcast listeners and fans of the show. C.S. Umble, he's been on here twice talking about his writing his new book was released on april 20th we talked about the massacre at yellow hill both of us all three of us loved it uh it was his first release or his, or his first major release and the second book of that trilogy the survivors trilogy came out it's called a red winter in the west the cover is badass yeah the cover of the book i really and- i love it and he talked about last time the uh and, and releasing massacre at yellow hill uh, well, the new cover as well. Uh, they they look fantastic, both of them. Is it still the same characters? Yep. Yes. Yeah. It, uh, we'll you know we'll we'll talk about this more next time. Um, it takes place three years after the events at uh, Massacre at Yellow Hill. Um, and I won't say any more about that. Uh, I yeah. think you know it's like five bucks on Amazon. Um, yeah, I I highly suggest getting both of them. They're great. They're a physical copy horror. is fifteen. And they're good horror. They're good. They're yeah. a good break from all of the stuff because they do take place in the old west. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> the only knock is that you won't put it down. I, are, you, I, are you holding one right now? You're just holding it in your hand. I, no, I fall asleep. No, that's with my. Yeah, uh, I fall asleep, <laughs> and I wake up and I'm like, "Where's my Kindle?" <laughs> Because I fall asleep reading, reading it. The, the terrier is reading it. Yeah. Okay. Getting ideas. Rob, you had one more thing? 
I well, I I had heard also, and I hadn't verified it that people have now started trying to return all of the toilet paper that they were hoarding, and places are telling them no. As well, they should. Which yeah, I absolutely, which I absolutely love. They, F you, you keep that toilet paper that you stole and tried to sell for ninety bucks on eBay. They should make them stand there and fucking eat it. <laughs> is what they should do. <laughs> <laughs> Officer, come here, please. Yeah, they can eat that. Tears rolling everything. down their cheek as they crumple up ball after ball of toilet paper. There you go. Hell yeah. Okay. Well, did anyone in Florida do anything with toilet paper? Did anyone just, I don't know, it's Florida time. I don't, I don't, know, about, I don't know about toilet paper, but I found a couple that I was like, what? Not, not like super dumb Florida man this time around, but there was a news story, and I've got it linked there in the chat if you want to pull it up, but there was a gentleman who basically encased himself in concrete outside the governor's house or something. I, I wasn't quite sure about where it happened in, in protest of the conditions in prison and the rampant uh, coronavirus spreading in prison and basically wants all prisoners to be released, all prisoners in all jails and prisons to be released. Now this is dumb on two fronts for me. One, because he basically buried his arms in cement and I guess he held on to something or whatever so that the cement hardened around his arms. Then they had to get like jackhammers and power tools out to get him out. So, but he basically encased both of his arms in cement. And his stance was that he wants all prisoners and, and all prisoners released from all jails and prisons in the state of Florida. All? Yes. And, and he's quoted as saying all in the article. That is not a good plan. Uh, especially, and again, right? especially in Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> And and I I thought I read uh, just a little while ago that we had one that was released over coronavirus concerns, and then he promptly six days later went out and killed somebody. He was not the one to release. He was not the one released. No, no, no. He was not the one to release. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Meaning bad, was, that was a bad decision. Exactly, and it's like there are people who are in jail and prison for a reason, and they should probably stay there. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yeah, you can really perhaps release the person that like sold a couple bags of weed. Yes, yes, but the guy that's in there for multiple homicides, you probably want to leave in there. Yeah, <laughs> this guy clearly didn't pay attention to that one Grey's Anatomy episode where the kid got stuck in concrete. Like concrete Apparently doesn't not. just like harden; it gets really hot and it compresses. Mm -hmm. So, like, he was lucky on top of that, and. Like, yeah, there's better ways. Yeah. But, you know, maybe not in Florida. I mean, if he had just stood there screaming, we wouldn't have heard about him. I mean, we'd have not thought he was a moron, but. Oh, he's still a moron. But on a more lighthearted note, <laughs> there was a couple who was, get this, arrested outside of the Florida mall. Hey, someone went to the Florida Mall. Good for Exactly. Them. They were Sorry. arrested outside of the Florida Mall, butt naked in their car, fighting and wrestling. Like, wrestling and having a fight. Like, domestic fight. Because wonder, after they had... be fighting over? After they had sex, the girl got out of the car because she had to pee. 
and wiped herself with a napkin and got back in the car and apparently threw the quote-unquote pee napkin at her partner, who was then incensed and attacked her. <laughs> for throwing the pee napkin at him. That's funny. Have I ever told you how I met my wife? <laughs> well, then. Well, I mean, well done, short toilet paper. Well done. So there's a shortage of toilet paper, so. So they had, I, I understand they having to use the napkin. Yeah, I bet it was one of those, per, those like, brown fiber uh, Starbucks napkins, because that's pretty much all that's in the parking lot of the Florida Mall that people go to. And they're all covered in pee, so. <laughs> yeah, careful. yeah. Because there's no toilet paper. That is a glorious Florida story, that right there. That's a, I, I liked that one, it made yeah. me laugh. Robert Spanish. Let's see these people. He's what, 21, I think it said? It looks clean cut. It looks normal enough, but, you know, it's Florida. That's a, yeah. Where's a, what about her, I guess? Because they did I guess not have a little... picture of her. He was the they... one that was arrested because she had, she had bruises around her neck from when he yeah. was trying to strangle her. So she was, she's, the, she's the victim, so that, yeah, they're not going to. Yeah, but she threw the pee napkin. She deserved it. (laughs) No, we do not condone domestic violence on this podcast. No, or throwing pee napkins, or throwing pee. Yeah, save them. Yeah, keep them in a box in your closet. The rest of us do. Yeah, you don't. You don't want to leave your pee napkins laying around because the government will will steal your precious bodily fluids and And get your DNA profile. Exactly. You don't want that. Yep, and then they'll turn you into an assassin. And send you mm-hmm. off to uh, Moscow, Uzbekistan. I don't like to talk about my time in Uzbekistan. <laughs> okay, thank you, Rob, for bringing up that awesomeness. Let Let's do some quick book reviews. Man, I was gonna go somewhere, but nah, <laughs> nah. So yeah, let's do a let's do a book review. Um. We'll do. Do you want to go first? Do you want to? We can. Who wants to go first? I can go first. Go first. Unless Rob wanted to go first. I don't have a book review. You just made this very awkward, Greg. Why? I'll I have a book first. review. So. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. This is a book that we've talked about before on the show. I think really because it had a cool cover. I, I think that's how it was brought to my attention. Um, okay. The cover of this book is, uh, the book is my best friend's exorcism on the cover of the oh, book. Yeah. It's very, it's a lot of neon. The, the book itself looks like a very well loved VHS that you would have gotten from, you know, a blockbuster or a video Rama, you know, early nineties, eighties. It's got a sticker on it that says, be kind, please rewind, things like that. So it it looks like a VHS tape. Uh, the book is written by Grady Hendrix. It was released on May 17th, 2016. So we are, uh, behind the curve on this one. I want to interview him. Yeah. I'd love to, uh, Grady Hendrix is a screenwriter and author. He has also written the book horror store, which you may have seen. It looks like an Ikea catalog. Um, oh, yeah. But that is is definitely another one that I can't wait to read. 
especially after uh, completely torching through this book. Um, the synopsis is uh, set in 1988 during the satanic panic that had Americans looking for Satanists under every heavy metal album. My Best Friend's Exorcism is a touching story of high school friendship and demonic possession. It's basically Beaches meets The Exorcist with all the E.T. love, Phil Collins wine coolers, United Colors of Benetton perfume, and Demons from Hell that personified the 80s. So basically, this novel is if one of those outlandish things that maybe Geraldo Rivera covered at the height of the satanic panic. Actually, Geraldo is one of the main uh, perpetuators or perpetrators of the satanic panic. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, a, a lot of untruths. He aired this special, uh, I guess, back in the late 80s, maybe mid 80s, that basically said your children are being you know, manipulated by Satanists and it's just this whole, he, I mean, he really ignited a, uh, a, a fervor. Um, it made it so much harder, it made it so much harder to yeah. manipulate children when he's telling everyone that we were out there. Right. You know, but basically, uh, yeah, this is a story of if one of those things were true. Um, Two high school friends, well, two lifelong friends uh, enter the, you know, awkward uh, time of uh, times in our lives of high school, middle school, and one of them becomes possessed, possessed by a demon. Becomes what? Possessed. <laughs> Jimmy just got possessed by a demon as he was saying it. Yeah. Um, it's. It's uh, it, it's got everything on the show that we talk about. You know, we we talk about eighties movies a lot. I mean, we cover mm -hmm. them all the time. Um, nostalgia. I mean, every, everything I I remember themed lunchboxes, malls, movies in the theater. Uh, Rob's love of Phil Collins and the Go Go's as well. Um, lot, Walk like an Egyptian. Yep. Lots of that barf. Neither Phil Collins nor the Go-Go's. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. But uh, yep. there's nothing wrong with Phil Collins. Not at all. There's a lot of Phil Collins in this book. Um, there's a lot of barf, which is... Always when I'm eating. Yep. Any any gagging me with a spoon? I mean, we can. No, it's very, very 80s for I'll gag you with something. Oh, wait. Go downstairs and get a spoon if you want to do some weird shit like that. I I started this as well because of you. And I'm... I'm well, I started it because of you. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm not... You know, I'm, I'm not too far into it because of the book I'm about to talk about. But so far, it's 80s without... It's 80s and it almost like it exists in the 80s. It almost not like it references the 80s. Like, it's not super heavy-handed, even though right. it's prevalent. It references things that happened at that time. Like, oh, that song was out. You know, it's not, ugh, oh, constantly reminding you. Yeah, it's not like, oh, 
nice. You look just like Madonna in that dress. You look so 1988 today. Yeah. It's It's like crimped hair. Yes. You know, the, the, the way Grady Hendrix describes the clothing, um, Mm -hmm. wine coolers, things like that. Or Zima. Zima. That was the nineties. The nineties. Was it the nineties? Yeah. And 15 minutes ago. I'm, that's why I'm punchy. I'm drunk on Zima. Hell yeah! And and I have to tell you, Jimmy, when when you posted the picture of the uh, of the book cover in Discord, it made me immediately think of a movie that I saw a long time ago. It was from the '80s, but I kept seeing it on the shelves and everything. Um, are you familiar with Wes Craven's Deadly Friend? I am not. I am not either. There you go. Oh nice. yeah, it, it reminded me of the cover of the movie. Yeah, I can definitely and, see that. And I was like. Damn that! All right, I want to watch that. And that's that. that's about two two high school kids. Um, it's uh, after his friend is killed by her abusive father. The new kid in town attempts to save her by implanting robotic microchips in her brain, and she goes crazy. But the art from the artwork just totally reminded me of that movie, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, I want to see that. We we'll have to we have to add that to our list of things to watch. Yeah, definitely sounds. Have, like- have you fin- have you finished the book yet? I had to step away to deal with some situations <laughs> i i have finished the book i started reading it on a saturday afternoon and i finished it sunday morning the i book. think he meant if you finish the review no 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 no, no. i meant if you finish oh the book. yeah gotcha no it's uh it's you know over 300 pages of easy reading i mean it's it's nothing that's gonna challenge you on a, a deep philosophical level. It's just a very straightforward um, tale of demonic possession. Um, and it's, it's absolutely worth the read. If, if Rob, if you want to borrow it, I, I, I will bring that back when I return your movie. Excellent. Did um, you absolutely love, did you get a chance to show it to, uh... to my fiance? No, I have not. Ah, um, well, if you want to show it to her, you can hold on to it till you. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll try and do that in the next couple of days when we have some time together. But definitely, definitely highly recommended. Um, Greg, how's the uh, the audio of this? Very, it's good. It's yeah. very well read. I um, I can see this is a book. If if we're going to introduce kind of like a a suggestion system for books, this is one I could say you could absolutely listen to it and it might actually enhance your experience. Oh, is this one on audible? It is on audible. Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. I'm yeah. all over that. So it might be and more the, the reader's fun, good. Uh, in an audible Excellent. format. Yeah. The, did, I don't know if you mentioned it because I had to step away. Did you mention that the, the author of this book also did a, wrote a book about horror book covers in the, I, from the eighties? No, I did not mention that. So he he did he edited and wrote a book about like all the covers of like the awesome horror books of the eighties. Because when Stephen King took off, there was a ton of different authors, Clive Barker and a bunch of other guys, and their the covers of the books were always really well painted and horrific. And he did a whole book about them. And I'm trying to find the name of it, but I'm unable to do so. But you can also check that out as well. So. It was something like horror books of the 80s, 70s and 80s. So if you yeah. type that in your little computer machine, 
or probably probably killed it. <laughs> Grady Hendrix, G R A D Y Hendrix, like Jimmy. I'm all like, oh, like Jimmy. Oh, I'm, I'm Jimmy. I'm cool. I mean, it's paperbacks. I think it's, no, you're not. Paperbacks from hell: the twisted history of '70s and '80s horror fiction. Told you. Okay. Shall I move on and talk about the book I'm finishing up? I think so. Yes. Cool. So we all know we're all big Star Wars fans here. I got the opportunity to go to Galaxy's Edge. It's technically twice, but it was in the same day. You know, we spent a lot of time. We left and came back there. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, haven't been able to go back since. Rob, obviously, you've been there. Uh, Jimmy, did fun. you make it to Galaxy's Edge? I sure did. I was uh, lucky enough to go before the world yeah. came to a screeching halt. So, a series, a they did some books that were kind of prequels to Galaxy's Edge, to explaining certain things, and I kind of grabbed this just because I thought it'd be really interesting to have read this book before I went, just so I could kind of look around because the the book takes place in the the planet of Batu or in what's the outpost called the Black Spire Black Spire outpost. It takes place there, and I got it, and then just a bunch of stuff happened. I didn't get a chance to read it before I went, and I'm like, well, I've got some time now. The book is really, really good, and it's one of those, like, I I will walk the poor dog. I've been walking her little ass all over the place. I will walk the dog. <laughs> like, no, leave me alone. I'm not coming out. We've been outside 18 times already. Yeah. Poor, poor Moxie is bouncing behind me on, the, on her leash. She refuses to move her feet, but um, it's called Bla it's called Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. Uh, it was actually released in August, but it's and it's written by Delilah S. Dawson. Uh, she also wrote the Captain Phasma book or the Phasma book, and I did not know that till tonight. But the story is basically uh, after the Battle of Crate, which is the sand, the salt red soil planet. General Organa's resistance is decimated almost to the point of oblivion, but the fight's not over. They need allies and outposts, so Leia sends her best spy, Vi Marathi, along with the newly reformed Archex, 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 whatever. It's it's not spelled like it's said according to the audiobook that I'm listening to. Uh, to Black Spire Outpost, where the pair will learn to deal with their past traumas, etc., etc. Now, the very cool thing about this book is because it takes place in the theme park, the author basically got to go there. Jimmy is doing weird things. Takes place in Disney. Well, it takes place at that at the Batu sec or the Batu planet. So it's takes place in locations that you can then visit in the theme park. So the the cantina and Doc Ondar's like den of antiquities. Yeah. yeah. And what's cool though, like if you're actually in the theme park now, as you know. You you guys definitely know it, but other people might know. There's the, the Imagineers try to tell a story with everything they do, mm -hmm. which is why everything looks awesome. So they'll have you know footprints in the ground, and it's almost like a you know a horse went by here, or they'll have something over there, or something you know, just a lot of stuff to look at all throughout the parks. Well, of course, they did that with Galaxy's Edge, and when the author was at the park for, I think she was she got to go there right before it opened, and she noticed there was like blaster a blaster last like behind the beer taps in Uga's cantina so she incorporated how that happened in the book there's a broken oh, banister awesome dude 
Yeah, there's like a broken banister, I guess, right outside of it. And it's like a a Wookiee pisses off Uga, so she blasts him and he falls through the banister. Oh, that's so cool. like Yeah, so she explains that stuff. The I didn't know I did not know this because I never got on the ride, but the new the resistance ride. Apparently you walk through some like ancient ruins. And you in the book they explain how they found the ruins and whatever. So it's actually a really cool book. It's it's the finding of the ruin stuff is very much like an Indiana Jones type situation. You know, they have mm-hmm. to go through traps and stuff, which is really fun. Uh, there's it just it's just well, it's a it's just fun. Like I thought it was just going to be something uh the, yeah a little throwaway book. It'll be kind of interesting. But as I got more into it, they and they started explaining things that I had remembered seeing. Oh. Like okay, this is cool. So. Yeah, I highly suggest it, especially if you're a Disney person and like kind of sad that you don't get a chance to go there. Mm. Um, it's worth picking up the the Disney or the Disney, the Star Wars books on Audible are always really well read and there's always great sound effects and stuff. So you can definitely do it there as well. So I would suggest Black Spire, Delilah S. Dawson. All right. How long is this book? Uh, I think it's like 10 hours on Audible. But okay. Or whatever that goes goes down to yeah um man i i gotta tell you guys i've been thinking about this a lot lately uh the the one of the first things that i want to do when you know this is lifted and yeah you know we probably won't see large gatherings of people until there's a vaccine and most of the country is vaccinated but god i want to go to galaxy's edge so bad i want to go back I want to go to Disney. It's like the first thing I want to do. So that, that is the uh, Give Me Five book club. Yeah. Um, but I would like to throw in a, uh, a quick little uh, gear review. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, I've i recently had the opportunity to get some, some hands-on with a couple of different controllers. I think everyone out there knows that I'm a, I'm a PS4 guy, so I, I prefer – I like PS4. Um, mo- all of my games are on PS, uh, mm-hmm. PlayStation. Um, but I have I have gotten my hands on some some different controllers and I've got some some ideas for you as far as uh, three different setups. Now, the first one that I had the opportunity to to check out was the the Astro C40 controller. Now, one of the things of about the Astro is it's a larger controller. It's it's kind of more the size of an Xbox controller as opposed to a PlayStation controller. However, the cool thing about the Astro controller is that it's modular. So you can you can move the joysticks around mm-hmm. and you can move the D-pad around. The buttons, unfortunately, are in a set location. They can't be moved or replaced. And that's one of the other things that I like about the controller is that you can replace the modules. You can order replacement uh, stick modules and you can order replacement D-pad modules. They have been sold out for a while, but mm. when I did have an issue with mine, I contacted the company and said, hey, I love your controller. I need it. I use it to play my game. I've gotten used to playing it with, with this controller because the controller has back uh, back buttons, paddle buttons on the back Yep, that you can remap to any button that the regular controller does. Oh, that's sick. But you can also set up your controller in either the parallel the parallel format that PlayStation uses or you can do the offset format by just moving the joystick up to where the D-pad is because you can actually switch them all around. Mm-hmm. So you can either set it up in parallel format or in offset format like the Xbox controller. Um, I very much enjoyed this controller. Um, it has since gone down 
I can't use it anymore. I tried to clean it and I broke it. So yeah, but when I did have my issues, I contacted the company. They were very, very upfront and very quick about sending me replacement parts. They didn't even charge me for it either. I called them and told them, look, hey, I'm trying to buy some. Do you, when do you expect to have any back in? My controller isn't really usable right now. And they're like, well, we'll get you some. They, you know, they just asked for, for my purchase information, basically the serial number on the back of the controller. And I gave it to them and they sent me two new control sticks, no questions asked. So I was like, awesome. So I had had nothing but good things to say about the customer service anyway. You look like you're going to ask a question, Jimmy. Yeah, I am. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, Go for it. Are you going to send it in for a repair? Um, I will probably reach out to them and contact awesome. them at some point. Well, it sounds like they'll help facilitate that as best as they can. And this is Astro, correct? Yeah, the Astro C40. Astro now makes a fine it product. Is a, it is a $200 controller. But when you take into account that you can switch out the most commonly worn out aspect of a mm -hmm. joystick, which or of a controller, which is the joysticks, and for twenty bucks, you basically get a new controller. And think about how quickly you wear out the joystick. I have myself, mm -hmm. um, at least a couple of Xbox controllers, and. When you when you go, oh man, two hundred sticker shock, right? But mm -hmm. a controller is sixty, seventy bucks. Yeah, controller is PlayStation controllers are like fifty bucks, forty nine and change. Yeah, but still, those wear out after three to six months, mm -hmm. if that. And then you're paying another fifty to sixty bucks. Whereas I've never, like, ever worn out a video game controller. Oh. I have. I've worn out multiple. <laughs> have you ever played 1080? No. No. I have not. But I, I really, really like the controller. Now, the other controller that I've had the opportunity to put my hands on is the Nacon Revolution Unlimited. This is a locked-in controller. It is another fairly expensive controller. It's about 150 bucks. Um, it also has back paddles. It has two back paddles on the handle that you can activate with your middle and thumb finger, depending upon your hand size. Um, I will say that for me, the buttons were were a little hard to access. Not impossible. I just mapped the two buttons to the same thing. So in case I hit the wrong button, it was still doing what I wanted it to. Smart. Um, so I, I did that. I have two complaints about the controller. One, it's offset. So it's not parallel like the PlayStation controllers, which I, which I vastly prefer. I, I greatly prefer the parallel setup. And that may be just because I've played with it that way for so many years. Um, but I don't like the offset. It makes it hard for me to activate the L1 trigger. Whereas when, when I hold the PlayStation controller with the parallel, my, my finger is naturally in the, in the position to activate L1 or L2. But when I move my thumb up to the offset, then it's kind of like a cramp motion for me to be able to activate the button on the L1. L2 is still fine. The other complaint that I have about the controller is that the sticks are really, really spongy meaning that there's not a lot of tension in the thumbsticks. 
So, you know, you, you push it and you're basically just maxing it out without very little effort. You know, there's, there's just no, no, um, feedback or anything from the stick. And it was making it very hard for me to actually get any kind of decent control when I was playing my games. Um, and there are issues with plugging in the headset to the controller. It, it distorts your voice and the people I was playing with actually noticed that they're like, Oh God, what is wrong with your headset? And I'm like, it's not my headset. It's my controller. So Damn. it distorts your voice. The head jack, the headset jack is not very good on the Nacon. Um, all in all, I would say if you're going to splurge and spend the money on the controller, spend the extra 50 bucks and get the, get the Astro C40. Well, that's a lot to consider. You know, Netflix changed up their menuing system recently. They've always been really kind of... They've kept it under the vest as to what their most popular shows are, and then they started releasing it. But recently, they added a top 10 most watched shows of the day. I'm not sure how they're cutting it off. But the one that jumped to the top, or one that randomly jumped to the top about a week ago, was something called Code 8. And I know you guys watched it, and I saw it as it was at like number three or something. I was like, "What is this thing?" <laughs> and then I saw a little bit of it, and like, this looks kind of familiar. But Code Eight, it uh, was actually sort of released in the theaters back in December, December thirteenth of two thousand nineteen. But it was a very limited release. Oh, okay, so it wasn't just that it absolutely bombed. It was just a limited release. It was one of those releases like the actors of the movie would announce it and they would talk about it. And then it would it would also go to theaters for backers, which we'll talk about momentarily. Uh, it is now on Netflix. It is doing well, apparently. Uh, it stars Robbie Amell, Stephen Amell, their cousins, not brothers, which I always thought they were brothers. Uh, Carrie Matched, Penny Izenga, a couple other people. Uh, it is a, is it near future? Semi near future story. I think it alternate might be a present. alternate reality. I think it's alternate. I think it's alternate. Yeah, so it's an alternate Ish. present. Basically, four uh, percent of the world is born as superheroes or with superpowers. Yeah, but they don't. But people will do what they do, and instead of them being able to use their powers to be better at their jobs, they are basically pushed into poverty and not allowed to use their powers. This this particular story is a superpowered construction worker falls in with a group of criminals in order to raise funds to help his ill mother. And uh, uh, what do you guys think? I oftentimes have a lot of trouble with movies like this, um, just because of the sometimes extremely overt methods that they go to to talk about. Um, or to, to make political statements with their movie, basically. Mm -hmm. um, like, I absolutely did not like, what was it, District 9? That this that Code 8 really reminded me of this. Um, yeah. And any of those any of those movies like that, um, District 9 is just the one that came to mind uh, most recently. Probably because they both had numbers in the title. Um, but I, I have to admit, I really enjoyed the movie. I... I, I was drawing it. Maybe it was just the fact that it was talking about superpowers. I don't know. Um, but I liked the story. The main character was engaging. You felt for him. You you empathized with him. You identified with him. Um, 
yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what it was about this movie that, that drew me in. And I, I want to say it was probably the superpowers because I'm, I'm easily drawn in by, by comic book shit, but um, very enjoyable. And I thought both of the MLs did a great job. The, the villain was sufficiently despicable. I, I very much rooted for him to not make it. <laughs> to be electrocuted or torched or squished or, or fall in a manhole or, or, you know, have a car dropped on him or whatever. Yeah. But I, I very much enjoyed it. And then, and then the decision at the end, I was like, you, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Come on. No. You know, you're rooting for the main character and you don't want to see them go down that path. And I, I very much enjoyed it. Jimmy. Yeah. I, uh, I think Rob said it best. Um, I, this movie was based off of a short film that, uh, Stephen and Robbie Mel produced slash starred in, I believe in 2016, um, and it's not the short film that I thought it was based off of. Um, yeah, I thought it was the one where the guy runs through the bus and then I watched it and I'm like, Oh, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. But well, I, I had seen it before. I just, mm-hmm. it wasn't the one I played in class. Um, I thought the acting was very, very good. I thought the way that they, I guess, assigned the superpowers made sense it didn't make any one person godlike um you know not one person had all the superpowers mm-hmm. um so it 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 seemed like a, a feasible reality and i i think that's why i enjoyed it so much um on seeing this I was like, oh man, is this a low budget movie? You know, I'd never heard of it. Are are the effects going to be bad? Is the acting going to be bad? And the answer, in my opinion, was no. Absolutely uh, not. The effecting, the effects were great. The acting was good. Um, I had, I had no problems with this movie. It was very enjoyable. Yeah, kind of the same thought mm-hmm. as I was. My first thought was, didn't I see this before because of the short? And then I started seeing the cast, and I'm like, oh wow, I. I I'm a big fan of the show Arrow. So Stephen Mm -hmm. Amell or Amell was, I was like, oh, sweet. The, the effects were used sparingly, but to great effect. Mm -hmm. And I thought the way they like control things, they had these like drones that would drop these like robot enforcers down. Oh, dude. They look badass. The Mm -hmm. way they land, they landed the sound effect sold mm-hmm. the special effect. Yeah, absolutely. And very reminiscent of Sentinels, were they not? Yeah. Very much so. The 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 little crime caper kind of what halfway through the movie maybe. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Was yeah. was really well staged. It was um, it was very Reservoir Dogs to me. Yeah. It was like futuristic Reservoir Dogs. Um, it actually reminded me a little bit of the one of the scenes from Baby Driver, like when shit goes bad. It's like, oh, it was. I, yeah. so I, I very much enjoyed it. Yep. As well, I, I'm opposite of Robin. I like political statements in my movies, um, so 
I'm I'm I, all for people with superpowers being able to do things like, you know, I I want a sandwich cooked by someone with heat powers. I'm just saying. I don't mind political statements in my movies. I don't like movies where they ram it down your throat. Yeah, I don't feel in in lieu of good story. Yeah, right. right. Like like in fact, the the ultimate yeah. one that I always comes to mind that I hated was that movie Crash. I thought that movie was was garbage, beginning to end. And it won an Academy Award. And I was like, really? Yeah. If, if people don't act realistically in order to prove the, the political statement, I am right out. Like, click. Yeah. But I, I thought this was... I think that they, they made the political statement early and then let it drive the characters afterwards, which was good. They, they um, let the story be the thing that kept you in and... Mm-hmm. It it wasn't a political statement that was disguised as a movie. It was a movie that was. It was it was it, never mind. Yeah, yes. I, no, I said, I know what you know saying. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It, it was the very beginning. They were like, okay, this is how society functions in this universe, and then here's the bad guy, and, and then they never mentioned the it president. Again. It's not the government as a whole. It's right. this fucking seedy scummy dude that you just want to see his balls get bitten off by a dog and i i thought it did a a great job of that i'm all in uh should there be a sequel um i hope there is Mm, I, i mean i think they wrapped it up pretty well i mean I mean, there there could be like ongoing adventures. I wouldn't yeah. even mind seeing. I wouldn't even mind seeing another another story in this universe mm-hmm. with with more people. I mean, almost like you know, almost like X Men kind of thing. Um, but as far as this story was concerned, I thought they wrapped it up fairly well. I, I will tell you one thing. Early on, I almost turned it off because I thought they called one of the characters Neo. <laughs> oh. And I was like, nah, uh-uh. I'm not doing it. And they're like, Nia. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Phew. Let's don't do that. Yeah. The, the other thing that do that. The other thing that occurred to me and I just as watching this was two things that crossed my mind. One, you could tell this was a labor of love where they took sure. the time they took the time to go from the short to the shoot to the figuring out what they were going to make when doing the Indiegogo campaign that funded this thing. And you can tell that the entire time they were working on the script and making sure the characters fit and making sure the characters had depth and all that. And you could definitely see it. And there was obviously as the, because it was privately funded, there was no studio being like, well, you know, maybe we could have more explosions over here and maybe we can do this. And the, the movie we're going to talk about next, um, Big Trouble in Little China, was notorious for having studio interference that made some weird things happen within the movie. But that was one thing. The other thing I thought was the fact that this became a hit online mm-hmm. really proves like when when you, Rob, are saying, you know, I don't believe the critics didn't like this. I don't believe this movie didn't bomb or this movie bombed. It's allowing people to take risks on movies like this and other ones that it doesn't matter if they bomb in the theater, because if they're good, people are eventually going to find it and it might take a little bit longer to make their money back, but 
it's going to allow people to take some of these risks and make these these mid-budget movies and absorb that risk because they there's a home for it on Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever other ridiculous streaming service they have. So it, it makes me happy that this thing is doing what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, very, very happy for the uh, cousins. And um, one more statement about this movie. I think it's a, it's a small detail, but it's a shot that made that sold me on it is when uh, one of the drones, one of the like drop ships that, mm-hmm. that drops in the guardians, not a huge spoiler here. It's bound to happen, gets shot down and it's spinning as a helicopter would, or as a quadcopter would, you know, if it lost function of a couple of its engines, but there's a shot from like looking down where the guardians are dropped and the way that their kind of legs are are flailing out, yeah, right. Shot you're talking about that was just a, a great detail, uh, attention to detail, and it's a small thing, but it really sold me on the movie. Excellent. You know, time it is. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are going to move on to our movie of the night. The 1986 classic. Yes, I will call it a classic. Big Trouble in Little China. Starring, oh, yes, it is. Starring Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, Dennis Dunn, James Hong. Was directed by John Carpenter. For those of you who haven't seen this movie or don't know what this movie is about, this is the brief synopsis is a rough and tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. That's, about what it, that's what it's about. I freaking love this movie, by the way. I have loved this movie since I saw it, and I've loved it every time I've watched it since. Mm-hmm. I, uh, man, if we're going initial thoughts here, uh, starting the movie, couldn't tell you the last time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you how long it's been. I was probably under 10 years old, but there are just certain parts of this the, you know, comparison of certain video game characters from, uh, you know, two characters from the movie. Go ahead. Oh, me? Uh, well, Greg, Greg mentioned, you, do you want to give your impression, Greg? Because you actually mentioned a video game. Oh, okay. So, um, I've got to get to my notes here. I was not expecting that. I'd, I, I've got two pages of notes here. Um, Watching this movie, I, I've there's a couple things went through my head yet again. One, it was really inspired by like the Chinese mysticism thing, and you have to really look back historically and realize that like we didn't really know what to think about China back then, back in the 80s. Even it wasn't open to us until the 70s when Nixon did it. So like there was this very large amount of like what's what's happening over there? What's with all the dragons? What's all this stuff? And then like the street battles and the random like you know fights and dojos and other things totally reminded me of double dragon like mm-hmm. totally i was like mm-hmm. and it wasn't just because of the us covering the wizard last week but there was like like i, I really got to play a double dragon after seeing this movie. and and there actually were 
were more direct influences on video games because the characters Raiden and Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat were directly based were they had characters in this movie that were their direct inspiration i do not know that yeah lopan lopan was the inspiration for shang Tsung, and the three storms were the inspiration for raiden or were at least partly under yeah were at least partly responsible for the inspiration for raiden Mm -hmm. but but uh, lopan was the direct inspiration for shang Tsung, and the one of the one of the things to note about this movie is that it was actually fast tracked because of the Chinese mysticism thing. Mm-hmm. They bumped up the release of this movie or the 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 beginning of production of this movie by several months so that they could beat another movie to market that was also based on Chinese mysticism, and they were like. You know, you don't see anything for for decades, and then all of a sudden you've got two movies about this, you know, uh, involving Chinese mysticism coming out at the same time. What are the chances of that? Would that so, be the Golden Child? That would be the Golden Child. Mm. It was due to come out, I believe, late '86. So they started working on this like five or six months ahead of schedule, so that they could be released in in uh, when it was released in what was it? June, July, July, yeah, July second. Nice. And what's interesting is at the time, Golden Child did significantly better box office wise. Mm-hmm. But uh, when, you look, when you look back at it, Eddie people Murphy. look at the time. Yeah, Eddie Murphy was a huge star. Massive. But but when you look back at it, people think that Golden Child was one of Eddie Murphy's weakest movies, and people love this movie. And it's you know even people that weren't alive when this movie came out. Right. I still like this movie or quote this movie or do art based on this movie. Yeah. And I, Jimmy, did you finish giving your initial thoughts? Yeah. I mean, those are more or less my initial thoughts. Okay. And, and like I said, I mean, I, I love this movie. I've loved this movie from the first time that I watched it. Um, it's it. And I've loved it every time I've seen it since then, whether or not I fall asleep while watching the movie, Greg, yeah, this movie was awesome because not only did I watch it in a watch party with Rob, I also got to then watch Rob sleep. <laughs> Tell me with a Rob party. Leaves. So we were watching with uh, let's see, Scott, listener and former and former co-host for a week, uh, Rob, uh, Jubals, another person that has been on the show, and I think that was it, right? Yeah, I think it was just the four of us. Yeah, for Rob's birthday, we had a little mini birthday party. And at one point I looked and I thought Rob was walk- watching through very narrowed eyes. And I like leaned into the camera and I looked and I could see a gleam of his eye. I was like, oh, Rob's almost asleep. And you're like, nah, back in no, I'm not. You said something. And I wasn't asleep at that point. I was, I was still awake and I was watching the movie and I responded immediately when you, you said did. something. You and I was, I was like, like oh, no, I'm what? but then I looked again like 30 minutes later and you actually were asleep and I, and oh, catching flies like, and everything. Scott's like, no, he's been asleep for about 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Oh, well, so it's a good thing that we were socially distanced or else one of us would have had to, you know, draw place, on my face. Yeah. Draw penises on his forehead yeah. or, or put penises Pretty on his forehead. Sure. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you, you were the closest of the, uh, the people watching it. True, true. But this 
this movie does have so many quotable lines mm-hmm. and they make me laugh every time I say them or anytime I hear them, no matter whether or not the people around me understand the reference. You know, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, you think of a line and you kind of chuckle to yourself because you're like, oh, my God, it's so silly. Um, or it's you think of a line, and you go, where is that from? Yeah. <laughs> oh, big trouble in Little China. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Kurt Russell is so great in this so movie. So great. So great in this movie. And the way he plays off of Kim Cattrall mm-hmm. is is just top-notch. I, I absolutely love their interactions that they have. But, I mean, really, the way he interacts with everyone is just so amazing. It's just so natural. I, and I like I said, I love the cadence of the dialogue, especially the joke deliveries. This movie is just so ridiculous and totally in my wheelhouse. I I love this movie. Yeah, that's I, kind of a signature of uh, John Carpenter films. You know, action, borderline cosmic or even borderline horror. Um, not saying this movie is specifically, but all 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 of the stunts and all of the situations and everything were so big and so over, over the top, but like a fine wine, they age well. Mm-hmm. There, there's not, I, I, aside from maybe some stiff acting from some extras, there aren't scenes in this movie where I'm like, Shit, what were they thinking, man? The eighties were weird. No, it's like, this is fucking cool. You know, um, there, there's nothing about this movie that wasn't intentionally corny. You know what I mean? Like there were jokes in, in some situations where you like when the guy takes out the butterfly knife and flips it open and Kurt Russell just looks at him and goes, where'd you get that? Yeah. Or <laughs> like, even, you know, one of, one of my favorite parts, one of the most comical parts of it to me is where, uh, you know, our, our three, three of our heroes are, are standing, you know, in a, in a triangle, I guess. And they're Kurt Russell gets the little gun. And then he trades it for the Uzi. And then, you know, the other guy, he gets stuck with the little snub nose revolver. And they're just kind of like, what? What just happened? Yeah. That, that yeah. to me, seemed like a scene that could have totally been ad-libbed. Um, yeah. Yeah. I I love the scene where they're walking in. They're they're doing their their disguises as, as uh, phone employees. And Kurt Russell just oh, yeah. walks in holding a... <laughs> an old school telephone and that's like his disguise he's like yeah i've got a telephone i'm with the phone company where where's the junction box so at? funny <laughs> he just walked oh and building on that uh, a part that of course i didn't remember now i told you guys i owned a copy of this film yes i do but i only bought it for the cover so i didn't open it until today nice wow yeah i i bought it around Halloween at Walmart several years ago because it had a really cool sleeve. Um, so a part that I was like, oh man, I'm going to have a problem with this was after that where they walk in and they go, oh yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, we've got to fix your thing. And they just kind of walk through. And I go, didn't the guards have monitors behind them? Isn't, aren't there cameras everywhere? They go down to the basement, they're talking and there's a camera. And he's like, oh, yeah, so, you know, the junction box, it's got to be done this way. I'm like, oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> saved that part for me. Um, yeah. Because the guys were probably sitting up there going, what the fuck? What? 
okay, I guess he's here to fix something. And, and the little joke there where he says, um, oh, you know, how many hells exist in Chinese mysticism? And they get to the door and he goes, what's that say? And, uh, his friend, Kurt Russell's friend says, um, oh, this is the hell of boiling oil. And he's like, like, really? Shit, really? He goes, no, it says keep out. That (laughs) is just so funny. Uh, there was a lot of tongue in cheek in this movie. Oh, very much so. Oh man. It was, it was just so great. And it was really interesting. It's like the movie in itself is it's, if you just describe it to people, they're gonna be like, huh? There's like monsters and this and that. But the making of this movie, there's a lot of really cool little situations. Like the fact that this was originally a Western. Yeah, it was it was originally written to be a Western and they updated it to what was then modern times and decided to yeah. set it in Chinatown in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Which is one that's, that's awesome. And the... The fact that it was John Carpenter and John Carpenter like basically launched into the stratosphere with his not really first movie, but with, with Halloween, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest independent movie of all time money wise. And I, I'm sure if it was today's dollars, I think it's still the biggest independent film. Um, And then like, then a bunch of movies that didn't do very well. And I was listening to, I was actually listening to some, something the other night. It was a, another listener who's not been on the show yet, but will uh, Derek Rook from rough house publishing. He did like a live stream the other night. He was talking about John Carpenter and he was saying that like movies come out, movies that come out when they're supposed to come out are going to do well. You know, like the Lord of the Rings movies did extraordinarily big business because people were really stressed out by nine 11 and they wanted to escape Uh, Spider-Man, probably the same situation. You know, I mean, that movie would have been big anyway, but certain movies come out at the right time. And like the thing, which we look at now as one of the best, one of the best horror movies, one of the best alien movies of all time, one of the best uh, what paranoia type films. Yeah, paranoia. He was saying that's the word that did terribly when it came out because it didn't come out at the right time. Right. Such a good and movie. this is this seems like it's another one of those. And because, that's Carpenter and Russell again. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like when I, I could not get that thought out of my head when I was watching this, I'm like, man, this came out. I don't know what the right time would have been for this particular movie, but and not as you'll, uh, you wrote this in your notes, but as did I, not 16 days before aliens and not, yeah, well, yeah, like the other movies are out. I actually wrote this down. So the movies there, I, there was a great article on, um, uh, uh, one of the websites like pop something or whatever. When it had a newspaper clipping of the old movie, like times, which was awesome. I forgot how cool those used to be that in the newspaper ads. Uh, it was up against Back to School, which was doing better than everyone thought. Karate Kid Two, Short okay. Circuit, Cobra. The original. Karate Kid Two or Short Circuit. Short Circuit. Yeah, the, the original, original Short Circuit. Yeah, okay. not Short Circuit Two. The original Short okay. Circuit. Uh, Vamp, which was the weird Grace Jones movie. <laughs> Raw Deal, the Stallone movie, or the sorry Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. Movie. Yeah. yeah. American Anthem, and of course, as you said, sixteen days later, Aliens. It was also up against uh, a movie called Pirates, starring Walter Matthau, which I've never seen. And oh, I nice. Really, I really don't want to, so don't make us watch it, anyone. <laughs> um, Next week. But, yeah, we're going to be watching Pirates starring Walter Matthau. And 
I, I, I was just going to jump in because it, what we're talking about is, is something I think one of the problems that this movie had was something that I've railed on in previous episodes. And that's a lack of the studio promoting the film because this movie did overwhelmingly well in the test reviews, like when they had their focus groups and whatnot and people went mm-hmm. and, and screened the movie. It was, it was almost overwhelmingly positive reviews across the board everybody almost everybody who went to see this movie absolutely loved it and they were baffled as to why it did so poorly just just for reference the the movie had a budget of 25 million dollars and only made about Mm 11.1 so one of the things that that happened was was that the studio and even russell and carpenter when asked about it said the same thing they're like there's they nobody had any idea how to promote this movie is what the problem was because it's just so weird and it's so out there that, you know, how do you, how do you promote that? I mean, where, where do you go with targeting an audience or doing this or doing that? So the, the studio really didn't put a whole lot of effort into promoting it. And then on top of the fact of the other movies, it was up against it, you know, it was, it was kind of doomed at, you know, what it was, but it is, it has found a, a brand new life or a second life, if you will, in the uh, after video market, in the DVD market, VHS market, it is it is essentially become a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly um, rightfully holds its place among John Carpenter's greatest films. Um, and just to talk about John Carpenter here for a minute, his contribution uh, to to action films, to horror films. I mean, it's undeniable. The movie uh, scores movie scores. Uh, I'll get to that here in a second, but you know, we're talking about um, the thing escape from New York. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Halloween, like you said, they live um, Mm -hmm. underrated films like in the mouth of madness and the ward. Uh, And in his, his scores to, to his films are, have not only influenced um, other composers, but also a whole style of music mm-hmm. um, that really kind of epic or atmospheric um, mm-hmm. style of electronic music that, you know, I love. And every time I hear shades of that in a film, I'm like, yes. This this movie is paying homage to its roots. So uh, we will talk about it at some point. But the movie Sweetheart, um, that's a that's a recent one. That that there's just a little kind of kind of driving synth kicks in early on in the film. I'm like, yep. Or uh, there's a great scene in Your Next, a film I talk about a lot um, with a lot of tension that has that same kind of John Carpenter synth in it. Um, John Carpenter, also the voice that you hear at the beginning of Gunship's Tech Noir. Yeah. That is John if Carpenter. You, even if you log into Shudder well, now, mm-hmm. the, it has a John Carpenter-esque synth hit. Like the... the I can't even do it, but you know, you know, yeah. when, when they, when Michael Myers, you think he's down the alleyway, mm-hmm. but the mentioning the marketing real quick, the mm-hmm. marketing campaign for this movie, they, in that article, the article is, uh, 
I did find it. It was den, in Den of Geek. It was called Big Trouble at Little China from Flop to Phenomenon uh, mm-hmm. from July 1st, 2016, which was it was a great, very, very interesting article. But they put up a bunch of pictures of the marketing and the marketing was just Kurt Russell standing there in a tank top, which fine, that's his character. And it just said, who is Jack Burton? Or Jack Burton is here to save your summer. See that now, probably say who cares. I mean, that's what that's actually what if you watch the commentary on the movie, which I tend to do, but I couldn't because we watched it streaming. Um, if you watch the commentary, they say, who is Jack Burton? And and John Carpenter is like, well, who cares? And he made the movie. Mm-hmm. So obviously he didn't control the, the marketing on that. But yeah. this is an era where superheroes were greased up Stallone, greased up Schwarzenegger, big dudes, Dolph Lundgren. You know, greased up Rob in a bikini. Mike's favorite type. Thong. Yeah, thong bikini. Yeah, just just mowing down guys with a with a <laughs> high, large caliber machine gun. To me, and nipple tassels, and with nipple tassels blowing in the breeze. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> <laughs> Whoa! I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, Greg's I gotta, got I gotta sh- climped. <laughs> I do. I gotta. Take a shower. Uh, <laughs> let me just <laughs> speak to one more thing. I love that Phil Hartman that you just did there. Uh, you know, even uh, an artist that I've been um, really kind of obsessed with lately, who uh, it's not the first time I've heard him. Okay. Uh, Carpenter Brute. Uh, I can't help oh, yeah. but to think that is where part of that name came from. Um, who we... Uh, might be talking about something very closely related to Carpenter Brute soon. Um, you, uh, another thing, plot-wise, the bad guy gang is called Lords of Death. Mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> I'm supposed to be rooting against these guys? These sound, this sounds <laughs> like the most badass death metal band ever created. Lords of Death. Come on now. I want to see, yeah, I, I don't want to fight them. I want to see them at Will's Pub. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And and actually, this this movie was one of the last uh, studio productions for Carpenter for a while, at least. Um, they there was so much meddling from the studios on previous movies, on this movie and previous movies that he had done, that he had just had enough, and that and that's why we got, um, I, I guess, independent productions like They Live. They Live was a wasn't a big studio production, um, and he had a couple of others that were that were not you know, big studio productions as a result. And this was, this was his last movie uh, for a while, at least with uh, big studios. Now I think we've gone this, we've gone a while talking about this stuff and we have not yet mentioned the, uh, the very wonderful James Hong. Oh, you had the noodle dream. Yes, James Hong. You probably know his voice from a bunch of movies. Uh, Kung Fu Panda, most likely Abominable. Uh, he's in a lot of things. He's got a very recognizable voice, but he's a great, fun actor. Was he in Wayne's World 2? Was he uh, her dad? He sure was. Yes. He does have some... I don't know the tie to Orlando, but there are pictures of him at a Thai restaurant that is my favorite Thai restaurant in Orlando Royal Thai. There are pictures of him all over the cat, like near the cash register as if he's definitely been there for a l- multiple times. And I really would love to go have Thai food and run into James Hong, but he plays the, the villain 
David Lopin, which is uh, I've never realized his name was David for some reason, but yeah, uh, uh, Kurt Russell keeps calling him Dave. Yeah, yeah no, right no, there, just, Dave. I mean, it didn't. I'm used to like Lopin, but. Oh my god, he's been in 437 films. <laughs> he he's awesome, man. He is so cool. And from Minneapolis of all places, I did not know that either. But he just an underrated actor that, you know, up there with some of the great villains, some of the great character actors, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course the the one uh Asian guy that dies in every movie was there. He always plays a henchman that the bald, the bald guy yeah, with long um, hair. Enzo from yeah. uh, Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Who I actually looked him up. He's doing okay, but he has not been in a movie since uh, the early 2000s because he had a stroke and a and brain tumor, but he is actually still alive. But you know I'm talking about these. He's bald, but he's got long hair and uh, and a mustache, and he's always getting like beaten up or thrown off of buildings or shot or whatever. So um, he, was, he is in this as well. Uh... And I See. love that they got him to play the um, the villain Ho Chan in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon in the episode that was based as like a parody off of Big Trouble in Little China. And they got either. they got him to play Ho Chan, who was the parody of his character Lopan in Big Trouble in Little China. That's awesome. So do you guys have anything else? Because I, I do have we do our, our usual question, but I want to make sure that we are we have clear the the board here there uh, there were there were a couple of interesting tidbits i found about this movie um, when i was looking around um that apparently and i think it's better on both fronts that this happened but kurt russell turned down the role of connor mcleod to do this movie Uh, we could have had kurt russell as the highlander instead of christopher lambert christopher lambert and and I think both movies were better off as a result. Because the initial people that the studio wanted for this role were um, Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson. E- they wanted Clint Eastwood and Jack Nicholson to play Jack Burton. I, I and I'm like, no. Um, Kurt Russell was, was the first and only choice of John Carpenter. That was who he wanted. And Kurt Russell was actually um, nervous about taking the movie because he had done a couple of movies that had bombed and he didn't want to do that to this movie. And Carpenter was like, I don't care. I'd rather do this movie with you and have it not be successful than do this movie without you. And Kurt was like, okay. Um, Also of note, the end, the song that plays during the ending credits Mm -hmm. was written and composed by the Coupe de Ville's. The Coupe de Ville's is made up of John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace, who actually was the second unit director on this film. Wow. So their band plays the the end credits song. And Nick Castle is Michael Myers. Really? Oh, yeah. Yes, he is. Yep. He directed... Two? I forget which one he was. I'll have to check. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, the... I, I went deep on some of the, the stuff here. It's it's always weird when you're doing a movie like this where it's actually good, and there's not a lot of stuff that you can make fun of or, like, 
talk about how oh, ridiculous Oh, there's, there's plenty of stuff to laugh and talk about how ridiculous it is. Yeah, but in a different way. But they, you mentioned the studio interference. The big thing they wanted to add was because of this whole Schwarzenegger, whatever, everyone has to be a hero. They added this this opening sequence where they basically talk about how Jack Burton mm-hmm. was a big hero. Right. And like, so they actually did reshoots on that. <laughs> and they talked about you leave a big hero. Jack Burton alone. Yeah, so he's a courageous man, and then for the rest of the movie, he's not. He's kind of just a, a doof, and it really didn't need to, like need to be there. It was better if he was just a doof. Well, um, John Carpenter's original view for this film was for the the designed hero to actually be the doof and the sidekick to be the actual hero. Yeah, kind of a la Green Hornet, I guess. Yeah, although not quite as not. Without him being as effective as Green Hornet, because Green yeah. Hornet, I don't think, was nearly as goofy as Jack yeah. Burton was. But he's, he said the studio just didn't get it, so they forced us to do this reshoot. Yeah. Now, also inexplicably, there's a video game for this movie. Did you guys know that? Oh, shit, really? No. Yeah. Oh, looks like we're going to have... So there's a Commodore 64 video game. Oh, God. That I found footage of on YouTube. Uh, some of the footage is good and has only the sound effects and no music. Some of it has music and the, the music is perfect. If whatever one bit video game music, <laughs> but it is basically, uh, that remember the old Nintendo game, Kung Fu, mm-hmm. where you yeah. walk and then three mm-hmm. guys would come over and like run into you and you'd punch them and they'd fall off the screen, whatever it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically that, but with Jack Burton and, and ninjas basically. And stuff that, and there's three, you're with three characters and one of them is floating on a cloud behind you, which is ridiculous. But I saw that. And then the other like touchstone that I thought was really cool is that the image of Lopan has really gone beyond this movie. And it is a very famous like thing for people to do street art of in various areas, like really good spray paint drawings, kind of almost like the Obey Andre the Giant stickers. But there's a lot mm-hmm. of Lopan art, um, nice. and some of it's beautiful. Oh, I've I actually mean, seen some really good Lopan cosplay too. Where I was going before you threw me off, Nick Castle oh, was the shape in Halloween. Okay. Okay. Um, and and where it kind of just jumped right out to me is you guys talked about this recently when I wasn't here. Nick Castle directed Tag the Assassination Game. That's it, oh. and the Last Starfighter. Yes. And major pain, Dennis and Menace, etc. But so we are the Nick Castle podcast, talking all things Nick We're Castle, circling back around, kind of guys. Excellent, yes. cool. Uh, so, should there be a remake or a continuation? No, but give us a movie with as many of the original stars as you can. As the Wild West movie was intended to be. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. I could I could get behind that. I could definitely get behind that. That's my suggestion. Remake. But no. yes. I no, I, I agree one hundred percent with Jimmy. I, I think remaking this movie would do it a disservice. It is set perfectly for where it is for the movie that it is. Um it wouldn't benefit from any of the upgraded special effects that we have. So it, this movie is fine just the way it is. And it is absolutely glorious. Well, then you'll be disappointed Shit. because there is one in development and has, well, there has, there was one in development as of 2018. 
uh, with Dwayne Johnson. Oh God! Get the fuck slated out. to be in it. Uh, so Dwayne Johnson is supposed to be in a was supposed to be a remake. John, uh, Dwayne The Rock obviously wanted John Carpenter be involved, but John Carpenter said they want a movie with Dwayne Johnson. That's what they want. So they just picked that title. They don't give a shit about me and my movie. That movie wasn't a success. That's what John Carpenter said. Now, they have since changed that as of 2019. It was June or July of 2019, which I think was 75 years ago, based on current times. And they did say that it's not a remake, but it is a continuation of other things going down in Chinatown. But it is currently up in the air. They, you know, not going to have Dwayne Johnson is in a million different things right now, you know. When they were developing this, they were in the process of filming the second Jumanji movie, which has come out and is out on video already. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hobbs and Shaw was also had just been finished, you know, in editing or whatever. So this, I could not find any more news on it, but there is one floating around out there. So we will see. Just say happens. no. <laughs> it's not against The Rock. No, no, I, I like The Rock in in a lot of the stuff that he's been in. I just no, don't don't do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need it. Yeah. Oh, and one other little little tidbit. I because I thought it looked familiar, and I didn't realize what it was until until I got the um, until I did some of the research. Egg Shen's office mm-hmm. is actually the firehouse from Ghostbusters. Huh. And I thought it looked familiar when they were in that scene. I'm like, this set looks kind of familiar they just threw a bunch of they just threw a bunch of crap in there and made it look like a real cluttered office but it is actually the firehouse the interior of the firehouse from ghostbusters nice cool well that closes i believe that closes out big trouble in little china well i guess we're gonna go ahead and do our give me five for the evening all right and i want to know what your top five actor director pairings are meaning the actor and director got together for several movies not just one Mm -hmm. several movies and i want them to be not in a not in a single franchise so like you can't use a director and the guy who played jason in friday the 13th one through 25 or george lucas and the guy played or the guy who played luke skywalker mark hamill uh yeah so this is because, of course, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell worked together for five films, which is why this question is a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Jimmy, mm-hmm. make your picks. Yeah, I'll go ahead and go first. And uh, I'm going to slide this one in here at number five because while it's not the same franchise, they um, called the three films that they made together something. So they were uh, the, not really connected. This it was based on an ice cream, the Cornette trilogy or something. Yeah, mm, yeah Cornetto, okay. the Cornetto trilogy or something like that. Yep, and that's going to be the director Edgar Wright with Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. Absolutely, of course, of uh, Hot Fuzz, um, Shaun of the Dead. Mm-hmm. So. Um, hopefully they continue to work together beyond their uh, little trilogy there. And don't forget End of the World. Yes. Number four, um, I had a really hard time with 
one through four on this, but uh, in it, my number four is John Carpenter and Kurt Russell for the movie that we talked about. Of course, Elvis, Escape from New York, etc. Number three is going to be Quentin Tarantino and Samuel Jackson. Okay. Who uh, at least one of those names might pop up on your list. My number two is going to be uh, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro uh, for films such as Raging Bull and uh, Taxi Driver, which I had no idea that allegedly they are uh, going to be making a sequel to Taxi Driver. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So you would think that that character would be dead if it was in the real world. If that was as at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my number one is, uh, my favorite pick here. Uh, it's going to be Alfred Hitchcock and James Stewart. Vertigo, uh, rear window, um, et cetera. They made four films together where James Stewart starred. Wayne's world two. I think it was, um, not quite. I, I have to say, Jimmy, I'm a little surprised. Oh yeah, there was there was um, an, a director actor combo that I would have thought would have made your list that did not even get a mention. Let's see who that is. Are they on your list? They are not. Okay, and who might that be? Guillermo del Toro, and either. Doug Jones or Ron Perlman. Doug Jones was in Mimic, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, The Golden Army, Crimson Peak, The Shape of Water. Yeah. Ron Perlman was in Kronos, Blade 2, Hellboy, Hellboy, The Golden Army, and Pacific Rim. The Doug Jones one is strong. Yeah, that's very, very strong. Um, Yeah, very well done. I'm I'm impressed. Mm-hmm. I'm going to add that to my top five times that Rob has impressed me on the podcast. <laughs> that one falls at number two. <laughs> number one being the horrific fart that they read us for 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the classic, the farts. Yeah. The farts. Okay, I guess I'll go now. Oh, the farts. Yeah. So what what I did was when I looked at this, I tried to do it based on what the director brings out of the actor on some of these, mm-hmm. like actors that I might not necessarily like in other movies, but I like them in movies by certain directors or they just do their best work for those directors. So that's kind of what I looked at it with. Uh, not the world's biggest fan of the Coen brothers, but I love the stuff that the Coen brothers do with John Goodman. So like the big Lebowski okay. raising Arizona, um, Hudsucker Proxy, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, those kind of movies. Um, largely The Big Lebowski made John Goodman kind of fearsome. Number four was uh, Spielberg and Hanks. So Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks. Okay, solid choice. Definitely was able to make Tom Hanks stretch out of his just buddy role. You know, he's, he was came out of of Hollywood as being in like what bosom buddies or whatever that TV show was. Then. Oh, 
but he ended up being in Saving Private Ryan, Catch Me If You Can, uh, The Terminal, The Post, and then also they worked on Band of Brothers together, which was a TV show, but it was still a big deal. Terminal is a fantastic film. I haven't seen that in a very long time. Uh, The movie that we just talked about, so John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Jimmy already mentioned it, but somehow did not mention The Thing, even though I know he knew it. But The Thing, uh, I'm not going to knock them. not mention all of them. You had to have something. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Uh, We will not hold them them, uh, culpable for Escape from L.A. Now, I also have Tarantino, but I actually went with Tarantino and Brad Pitt. Because I did not like Brad Pitt until he started acting in Tarantino films, because it actually changed my perception of him. Particularly True Romance, which was where he played Floyd, the stoner roommate, which was a small part, but it was fun. And then I really warmed up to him. But also, he did Inglorious Bastards and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I loved. And number one, Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. Nine films together. Uh, mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Cape Fear, Casino, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, which is basically the Joker, Ooh, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, New York, New York, Taxi Driver, which Jimmy mentioned, The Irishman, which was this year. So Scorsese, De Niro, my number one. Rob, impress me again. Why are Solid. you taking your pants off, you weirdo? That's not what I meant. No. Oh, but you're impressed. <laughs> um, I... I had several, several different um, combinations on here. Um, I've got to, I've got to give a couple of honorable mentions um, because they didn't, they didn't make my list, but um, Simon Pegg, Edgar Wright, Nick Frost, honorable mention, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, End of the World. Um, Another honorable mention was very big in the 80s. Um, they only paired for three films, but John Hughes and Molly Ringwald, mm-hmm. very iconic eighties uh, movies, iconic eighties movies, 16 candles, a breakfast club and pretty in pink. Um, you cannot talk about eighties movies without talking about the Brat Pack. So I got to throw John Hughes and Molly Ringwald in there. Definitely. Um, another, another honorable mention that I wasn't a fan of all of the movies, but I do know that they were really popular, so I'll give them an honorable mention. And that'll be uh, Kevin Smith and Ben Affleck for Mall Rats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Jersey Girl, Clerks 2, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. So they, they did quite a few. Um, and they were, po- uh, several of those movies were very popular when I was growing up. Really humanized well, Ben Affleck from yeah. the Hollywood side of him. But, okay. So I will God, I really don't want to put these two side by side, but you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what I want. So my number five, um, I, I did not feel right in, in having a top five list without including one of the iconic directors of all time. Um, as far as pushing the, the suspense genre, and that would be Alfred Hitchcock. Um, and I will go with Alfred Hitchcock, actually, and Cary Grant. Also Hitchcock, starring in four films. Yes, North by Northwest, <laughs> To Catch a Thief, Notorious, and Suspicion. Nice. Um, and and actually, Hitchcock, uh, I didn't know, but Hitchcock actually delayed the filming of, was it North by Northwest? It might have been North by Northwest. Delayed the filming 
until Jimmy Stewart was unavailable simply so he could cast Cary Grant. That's funny. So I think it was North by Northwest, but it was one of those movies that he wanted Cary Grant for, and he just kept delaying the start of filming until Jimmy Stewart was unavailable so that he could cast Cary Grant. I thought that was pretty funny. And that was the era of the, the studio system, so both of those those people had to be under the studio like contracts. Right, right. So maybe that was why it happened, because uh, probably Jimmy Stewart was up for, for the next one. And so he just waited until he got the job and then moved on to Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. So that's my number five. My number four, I liked some of the movies, which is why I included it here. Um, very, very unique style between these two. And that's going to be Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. So you've got movies like Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, Corpse Bride, uh, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass, the the Willy Wonka remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, Dark Shadows, and Sleepy Hollow. Very, wow. very unique style with these two. And I'm not sure if it's just Tim Burton in general or if it's Tim Burton with Johnny Depp, but mm-hmm. but it's it's definitely they, they they work well together. So I'll put them at number four. No doubting that I uh, I did not include that duo because in recent in recent years my opinion on Johnny Depp has soured dramatically. Oh, I, I and I get that. I understand. Yeah. I, well, that, you, I you know that was that. you. That was if you're talking about the if you're talking about the uh, the wife beating thing that came out as a hoax. They caught she's actually about to be arrested for it. Oh, never heard. They, Yes, she. They found video of her saying she's going to frame him. Uh-huh. Oh, that was uh, about the time this came out. That is, un, it's under trials, uh, civil trials. I guess not really jail, but wow. Civil trial. Right now, it came I out. Right. Throw, I hope they throw the book at her. Yeah. So it because, is because I think that is just as horrendous as actually committing the the crime. Guess who won't be in Aquaman too. Go to jail. So he had security cameras in his house and turned over all of the footage and none of the stuff she said was true. Wow. Excellent. Screw you, bitch. Go to jail. See you later. Bye-bye. At number three, I'm going to put Scorsese. All right. But but not Scorsese and De Niro. Scorsese and, can I guess? Yes, you can. DiCaprio. Yes. Nice. Scorsese and DiCaprio. Oh, I fought with that one. Yeah, well, and when I saw what I'm going to announce at the last one, or when I saw what I'm going to announce with my number one, which is kind of a giveaway, but um, I was like, I got I got included on my list. Um, but Scorsese and DiCaprio partnered up for movies like The Departed, which was yeah. oh, oh. excellent, by the way. I mean, it was really good, but Still but good. I was, I mean, it the movie ended, and I was going what the fuck? Yeah. What, what is going on? This is wow. But yeah, so they've got the departed. Uh, they did the aviator. They did shutter Island gangs of New York. And one of probably their best one, uh, most acclaimed was the wolf of wall street. Mm-hmm. Actually, it might've been the departed, but the wolf of wall street was also extremely I'm good. Still waiting for devil in the white city. You bastards. I don't care how you do it. Yes. My number two, just because I love the pairing and I love I love the movie that we reviewed, 
It's going to be uh, Carpenter and Russell. Nice. Love me some John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, d- discussed at length. Escape from New York, The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from L.A., and a made-for-TV movie, Elvis, where uh, John Carpenter directed and Kurt Russell played Elvis. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But my number one has to be number one in any measurable category. There's, I, I just don't see any way that I could not put this duo at number one. And that's Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro. The stuff that they have put out is legendary. I mean, they mm. are, several of the movies that they have done are are considered to be some of the greatest things that the film industry has ever produced. Um, very true. Things like Raging Bull, Goodfellas, Taxi Driver, Mm -hmm. Casino, and even the most recent one, The Irishman, which was actually up for 10 awards, even though it didn't get any of them. People still think that The Irishman was completely snubbed at the Oscars, but it, it didn't win any Oscars, but it was nominated for a boatload. So, but the other thing of note is that due to be released is the most latest pairing between Scorsese and De Niro and DiCaprio. (laughs) And DiCaprio. All right. Killers of the Flower Moon. I haven't seen anything about it yet, but I think it's based on a book because it was... um, I I just saw that it was due to be released uh, either this year or early next year. So I may have to go check that out. Because they they are a good combo, and putting DiCaprio and De Niro with Scorsese, I I can't wait to see what they that do. That could actually still be a sex tape. We don't know enough about it to know that it's not. So Jimmy, you might still be right. Okay, Jimmy, so that is my five. Excellent. Let's uh, let crossover. Yeah. Jimmy, take us home. Absolutely. Be uh, looking forward to the next uh, John Carpenter and Kurt Russell project. Uh, it's actually a, a crossover film. It's called uh, Big Thing in Little China. Nope. All right. No. Okay. So, if you'd like to get in touch with us and tell me uh, how funny my jokes are, you can find us on Facebook by searching for the Give Me Five podcast. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. You can email us directly at Give Me Five Podcast at gmail.com. And if or you, you can just tweet Jimmy to go to hell for his stupid jokes. That's fine. Uh, hashtag go to hell. Hashtag engagement. I'd appreciate it. If you guys could do us a huge favor, if you are a fan of the show, tell your friends about it. Leave us a review on whatever podcast app that you are using. Helps us stand out and uh, rise to the top among all those other podcasts out there. We'd appreciate it. And if you'd also like to support the show another way, you can find some really sweet merchandise by going to our store at giveme5podcast.threadless.com, which you can also access through our website, giveme5podcast.com. 
our lovely website. As always, with any of those, the five is spelled out F I V E, the word, not the number. Yes. And Greg, how are we uh, able to still do this while we are all in isolation and quarantine? Yeah, so we're all in isolation and quarantine, like Jimmy said. But you know what? We are always in isolation and quarantine when we record this. We record from separate locations, which is also why we're still able to hold a podcast, even though two of us apparently fart a lot. A lot. A lot. (laughs) Not farts. So we are using a software or a website called Squadcast. Squadcast gives you really clear audio, and it is done through the web. You basically log in, you send a link to whoever you're interviewing or talking to, and it will pop up just like something like Zoom. You see them on the screen, you talk, it records, it automatically sends a file, so you don't have to have anyone do that. And it's really clean, smooth, and works very well. Now, we are an affiliate for this, so... If you guys are podcasters or if you are thinking about being a podcaster, you can use our affiliate. It is on the website as well, and we also have it linked to most of our accounts. Or you can, of course, just check us out or email us, and I will send it to you. It gives us a little bit of money, and it also, I think, gives you some, uh, like, a free checkup or whatever. And I'm more than happy to hop on with you, and you guys can see how it works. He's more than happy to hop on you. Yes, I'm more than happy to hop on you, and we will use Squadcast to record it. So, <laughs> plus it allows you to see the 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 shock, uh, the shock amusement and horror in Greg's face as he rips a fart on camera. Like, oh God, was that just recorded? Yeah, that was louder than I thought. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Guys, join us next week as we finally. Take a deep dive and review the movie The Last Dragon. With a real-life ninja. With a real, actual fighter. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and wash your damn hands. Beaten up by some old person who wants to yeah, exactly. paper. <laughs> that also happens if you show them your vag. Yes. Ooh. Or if you're not wearing pants, they just let you write on through. Uh, why do you have a dong? <laughs> I'm a biological male, Greg. Why would you ask me such a thing? Fair enough. Stopping. <laughs>